This is Brian Billick, and I'm joined by my partner, Dennis Green. Welcome to the Coaches Show podcast. Here we go. When you lose a game like that, now you're playing to see who obviously is going to be on your football team for years to come. And now we get a chance to evaluate players and see where we're at. Well, Denny, we just we show up here on Mondays, and and uh, sometimes it's just turn on the mic and let's go. This there's so much going on in the league right now. We're at kind of the halfway point with so many teams, but so many compelling things that went on this last weekend as we get into that second second half of the season. You know, and it begins with the concept of a must win. We're going to talk about Mike Shanahan and the Washington Redskins losing to the. Carolina Panthers in a game that Mike Shanahan said going in is a must win and let's start off by just you know defining what that must win is I've never had a game in the NFL that wasn't a must win (laughs) well I think what what Mike meant was this this is a a win that we have to have if we're going to stay on target to be in the playoffs it doesn't mean that they're out of the playoffs I think it just means that we have to be on target and I think by not winning they've tailed off off target a little bit. I mean, you know, so they're they're not they're three and six and they played nine games. Everybody's some teams have their bye already. They haven't. And three and six means that it's gonna be more difficult to get to the playoffs. Four and five, they would have been in much better shape. So I think that's what Mike meant by saying this was a must win. Yeah, and, and make sure we got to define our terms here a little bit. I think because everybody talks about, particularly now we're in November and December, and that dash for the cash, as you always used to call it, yeah, that these this win is a definite must win. Or look, the wins in November and December are no more important than the wins in September. The only difference is the outcome, the consequences of a loss in November and December are much more apparent. So. Yeah, it does become a must win, and Mike Shanahan identified it as that for the very reason that you said. He knew if we can't beat at home a struggling Carolina Panther team, who are we going to beat going forward? Right. And and so in that instance, it was a must win, and that led to, and we're going to talk about that now, what was obviously a very emotional response by Mike Shanahan, someone who is normally as guarded as any coach I've been around, uh, and very circumspect about what he's going to offer up, a very emotional response after the game that basically said uh, that after the game that, that uh, uh, he was shocked by this, he was deeply disappointed, and basically intimated saying, well, we're at that point where we got to start playing for next year, and I'm going to start evaluating players based on who can raise up to this challenge and who I'm going to want on this team next year. Right. And I think that he didn't mean that we're not going to play this year. He meant that, you know, if you're not going to play well this year, you're probably not going to be in the team next year. We're in the playoff hunt. I, I, and I think also, you know, what every coach wants, he wants a lot of guys to buy in. And, and so in another way he's saying is, hey, we've got 50 guys on this team, and and I don't know, maybe only 40 guys are buying in. And if we've got 10 guys that aren't, you guys are going to be gone. Or, or we've got 40 guys buying in, and it's time the other 10 guys buy in too, and I'm going to be watching. So I think in any way you want to say it, the bottom line is, you know, they are 3-6. and six. He's very disappointed. He got the quarterback he wanted in, in RG. Uh, I think that they're set up the way they want to be, but they just have not played very well. And I think that's where the disappointment came in. And the emotional outburst, not outburst, but the emotional comments after the game. Yeah, you, you you know, there's any number of teams, whether it be St. Louis, uh, whether it's a team like Kansas City or Oakland, certainly the Cleveland Browns, um, Buffalo Bills. They're at that point in the season where 
you can kind of see the die is cast. Now, no one admits to that, even though intellectually you can look at where a team is, the teams they're going to play coming up. And, yeah, you can make the calculation as you do as a coach, okay, we're going to reach that point where we're no longer in playoff contention and we've got to think about what we've got to do to hold this team together and maybe get some questions answered prior to the end of the season so we know what we need to address going in to the off season. Uh, that's got to be from a coach that's very confident that he's going to be there. Uh, we've been there before. That's a tough position to be in, and you can only take that approach when you know you're going to be there as a coach and the players have to know, look, I'm going to be here, so you better respond to me in a certain way. Right. If you're a coach that there's any question about you being there, that's that's a harder card to play. Now, there's any number of teams that right now, intellectually, you can look at and say that's where they're at. But emotionally, as you and I know, you're not in the playoffs until you're in the playoffs. That's what an 8 no Mike Smith's telling his Atlanta team. Right. And on the reverse side of it, you're not out of the playoffs. You're not, not in the playoffs until someone says you're mathematically eliminated, even though intellectually you can say, look, this team's not going there. You never give up on that, at least no. publicly. No. And that's where people, I think, thought that, that that resonated with them, that Mike Shanahan might be saying, no, we're already there. Yeah. No, I, I think and I, I think he was somewhat insulted that people would think he's a competitor. He's been a very competitive guy throughout his whole coaching career. So I think he felt he's a little insulted that, that somebody would imply that he's given up. It's going to be interesting that, you know, of course, you have the post-game comments, which I've had some interesting post-game Just a few. Comments we both over, have. Over the years. <laughs> and then there are the Monday follow-up press conference. And normally – This is what that, I really meant. You misunderstood. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think it will be interesting to see when, when Mike Shannon has his Monday, you know, wrap-up uh, conversation. I think he'll be able to set the record straight. Well, and he said – I'm going to read it right here in a statement afterwards. He said, to insinuate, insinuate that I was giving up on a season is completely ridiculous. We've got five NFC East games still on the schedule. Anytime you have division games, you have a great chance. What I meant by that – and here's where, okay, you misunderstood what I said. Anytime you have adversity, now you've got a chance to see all those – all these guys play every game the rest of the way – like it's a playoff game. So, yeah, I, and and you take Mike Shanahan at, at face value. You take him at his word and that that's the approach. But he's still having to do some damage control with his team because they've got to be sure in their mind. And that, that first off, well, is that what he really meant? And Mike Shanahan's in his third year. Yeah, they know they've got the quarterback they're going to have going forward. But does Dan Snyder really still believe in Mike Shanahan after now in year three? Is this the guy I ought to have with my quarterback going forward? Well, everybody thinks it's easier than what it is, so we, we understand that. I think that's where the leaders on your football team come in because it's up to them to help interpret what, what Mike said, you know what I mean, and what Mike meant. And so I think it's going to be interesting today. And also interested to see how they how they carry on because uh, they have some opportunities in the future, but they've got to make sure they can make the move now. I mean, the three and six has got them in a situation where it's like, hey, you know, we we've got to get out there and play. We got one more game, I think, before no, they're buys this week. Yes, so this so. is this is going to be a little extra discussion. And it's interesting the way the buy is now. Normally, in this situation, you have to be careful in the old day, whatever your plans were. Do you alter it? I remember uh, a Mike Shanahan team at one point going through a similar circumstance in Denver that in the bye week now. He he went after it. He yeah. put him in pads, and, well, you can't do that anymore. Right. In fact, they're not even around this week, which is probably a good thing because you don't want to emotionally respond to, 
to, at this point in the season, decide, okay, we're going to get back to fundamentals and we're going to scrimmage each other for three, four days here, and then I'll give you the weekend off and we'll come back because there's no upside to that. But um, I don't know that uh, the page two of this story is yet to be written because Mike Shanahan clearly is in charge of that organization. But ultimately, Dan Snyder, we know the way Dan Snyder has been, how does he view this and what kind of conversations does Mike Shanahan make that statement to his team knowing, look, I know I'm coming back, so I'm throwing down the gauntlet here compared to a coach that there's more uncertainty, you throw down that gauntlet and the player's going, eh, not so fast, bub, because we're not sure you're going to be the guy to answer right. to next year anyway. Yeah. Shotgun snap is back to Hasselbeck. Pressure oh! intercepted by Brian Erlacher. 45 running left. Erlacher to the 30, to the 25, to the 20, to the 15, to the 10, to the 5. End zone. Touchdown. Touchdown, Bears. Number 7 this season. Adding to their NFL record. And this one is for Brian Erlacher. Let's uh, let's move on to another interesting situation. I had the Chicago-Tennessee game. Uh, and that was, uh, I mean, it was a 51-21 beatdown of the Titans, who aren't a very good football team right now. The Bears are, uh, let's start with on the field, and then we'll move to the off the field and the comments made with uh, by uh, about Mike Munchak and his staff by the owner, Bud Adams. But, the Bears, Denny, and I've been around. I've been fortunate to be involved with some pretty good defenses. Their ability to create turnovers, I've never seen that before. It's almost going in now. you got to get your team ready for the idea, okay, we can't turn the ball over against the Bears. It's no, 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 no. We're going to turn the ball over. We just can't let them score with it. All right? And we got to get our own share of turnovers because it's almost like predetermined. They are. I've never seen a team this good at holding players up, batting the ball out, having the mindset that we're going to create turnovers. Well, you know what? I, I would say they're probably maybe close to 100% healthy because these same players have been playing for a couple of years. They've been a good, a very solid, a very good defense. But this year, for some reason, they're exceptional. And maybe that's tied into the offense. Maybe because the offense is playing so much better this year. That's enabled a defensive player to stout. You know, they were, because of the way they play, maybe they could not go out and just play you know, defense without getting any help from the offense at all. And all of a sudden they're worn down and guys are banged up and Briggs is semi-hurting, Erlocker semi-hurting, Tillman semi-hurting, and they couldn't really go at it. Now that the offense can handle their share of the load, now they are back to that uh, explosive defense where guys, everybody can run, uh, they have speed, uh, they're good at knocking the ball out. They're great at getting turnovers. They like to take turnovers and turn turnovers into touchdowns. I mean, that's the kind of football they're playing right now, and I, I think it just can't be all defense. I think maybe it's that offense is playing a role too. It is a factor. Defensively, you talk, you're talk. you exactly right, Denny. Defensive line, they have a six- and seven-man rotation. Uh, Moby Okoye and, and uh, Tune, uh, I think I'm saying that right, uh, uh, Tuina, excuse me, they couldn't even get on the active roster. That's how deep they are at the defensive right. line. Julius Peppers was not on the field for huge blocks of time because they just roll him through like a hockey line, right. keeping those down four fresh. Uh, Erlacher and Briggs are playing as well as I've ever seen them play. Charles Tillman is the MVP category for me right now. The way And they play to a style where – and we all coach it to a degree, but they're living it in terms of first guy, you get the ball out. The rest of us will cover you. Right. Yeah, they may get a few yards after the catch or after contact. We don't care about that. First guy there, you try to get the ball out. Then the rest of us will cover you if he steps out of that, and we'll make the tackle. First guy there, you get the ball out. And these guys – but these guys, these are babies. These are veterans. These guys are all close to 30 years old or older. They've been around a long time. 
and just they are just really playing their style of defense. Now, Lovey Smith made his bones defensively. He was a defensive coordinator. They hired him because of his, his uh, expertise in defense. So everything has been there, but I, I just think that this year is the year that it's all clicking because of the offense also. they And to add insult to injury, in visiting with Lovey Smith prior to the game, um, they're, they're after Hester a little bit because they feel like they haven't gotten the productivity out of Hester on the return game because they think he's been a little undisciplined. He kind of served notice on Devin Hester. Look, look you got to follow the schemes we're blocking because there's, there's yards to be had here. There's plays to be made. And I even told uh, Lovey, I said, you know, that's not fair. If you get your special teams cranked up, with the way your defense is scoring. You don't even need the offense. Just let him punt on first down because he had a pick six by Erlacher. Tillman forced four fumbles. They had a blocked punt for a TD. And and then uh, Hester returned one for about 50 or 60 yards. It set him up on about the 15-yard line. So he even got involved with it. They, they, they are hitting on all cylinders that way, uh, and they are impressive to say the least. Now, on the flip side, the Titans are struggling. They're a young team. It's too bad that Jake Locker can't play right now because that would be the upside to this season. Look, let's get him his reps so that this pays off in 2013. Matt Hasselbeck came in and, and uh, you know, it plays well enough, obviously, for this team. The problem was this team, after almost making the playoffs last year, actually thought they were better and are making some moves. They're not a bad young team. They've got good skill players. But Mike, Menchuk, Mike Munchak is in an interesting position with maybe one of the more volatile owners in the league and Bud Adams. Mike Munchak has been there for better than 30 years. He's a Hall of Fame player for Houston and, and then obviously coaching with, with the Titans, with Tennessee. Could finish his whole professional life there. You know, whoever comes in, you know, Jeff Fisher got let go and whoever you brought in, Mike Munchak, you're going to keep him as your line coach. But now he's offered the job. And Mike said, he sat with his wife and said, now you got to understand, we can we can finish our career here and never As an assistant As coach. an assistant, never leave. Okay. Life's good. Or I can be the head man, but with it comes increased accountability. And now after two years, the owner made it very clear, and he was embarrassed by what happened on the field, was everybody's on notice. I may empty out the whole building if it doesn't get better. Yeah, well, you know, and I think that it, that is that perspective that we're talking about in, in that – you know, there's a certain patience level, and then you can get impatient. Now, Mike's only in his second year, so he's had a year and a half. A year and a half is not a lot of time. Uh, Tennessee had tailed off a little bit. Uh, that's why Jeff Fisher wound up leaving. Now the question is, can we quickly put this whole thing back together, and can we do it quick enough to satisfy the owner? And when you catch a hot Chicago Bear team, as happened, well, you know, then that makes it very, very difficult. And, and so hopefully – uh, you know, Bud Adams calms down a little bit. And I, I can remember, I don't know, I was working another station way back then, maybe 2003, when Bud really went after Jeff Fisher. And I had some advice for Bud Adams back then, so I have some more advice for Bud Adams. This this great player, Mike, has been your coach for a lot of years. He's a tremendous coach. I think he doesn't have the original starting quarterback. Uh, it was a tough loss to the Bear team that can get hot. I understand all that. I don't think we should be saying that the coaches are, are being uh, – uh, we're out coached because I don't think they were out coached. I just think that the Bears outplayed everyone, not just the coaches were out coached, but the players were outplayed also. And I think now they should go ahead and just point forward and let it go. There'll be a lot made about it. And I think that's when the owners find out when you make those kind of statements, 
You know what I mean? Then that's that makes a difference. So they've got Miami coming up. This will be an important game for them. You know, they are three and six. Uh, you know, the same three and six as the Washington Redskins, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've got Miami, who's playing pretty good, better than most people thought. And so uh, I think now you've got a chance to go on the road, go down to Miami. They are four and four. See if you can get yourself a win and make everything better. But I think it, it doesn't get too good when you're threatened. You know, when you come in and, and you say, hey, we were outcoached and we were outplayed and and everybody's on notice. Ah, everybody's always on notice. As we talked about many times, Denny, and, and we know this firsthand, regardless of what the organizational ladder says, I don't care what title you have, head coach slash general manager slash president slash VP of football operations slash, we got a lot of slashes in this league <laughs> that invest a certain amount of power in you. But at the end of the day, your authority comes from the owner. And that owner's commitment because the players are mindful of it and watching. And they want to know here, Mike Munchak, in his second year, to go forward with this team. He needed the support from ownership in order to hold this together, to build on something maybe going forward, that said, guys, you better respond to me because I'm going to be here next year. And I'm going to be the one that decides whether you're going to be here next year. And what the owner has done is basically taken his legs out to tell to the players – well, you may like Mike, and you may want to play hard for him to help save his job, but he may not be here making the decisions, and that is a tough position for a coach to be in. It is because you're saying to players, you might not be here, and he might not be here. So it's like who's in charge, and, and the owner can't be in charge. I know uh, We've seen it where general managers want to be in charge. Wrong, can't be in charge. Owner, want to be in charge, can't be in charge. There's only one person that can be in charge, and that is the head football coach. And I think if you live, give him the kind of authority that he needs, then you got to let him keep it throughout the year because at any given time a team can get hot and play much better yeah and as an owner my advice would be you know what no say look this is my guy and and you guys better respond to him because he's going to be the guy you're going to answer to just what you're saying and we're going to pull this out and you better listen to him because he's going to decide about your future and whether you're here and then at the end of the year if you want to fire the guy then fire the guy you know you can change your mind but don't with eight games left take his knees out from under him and basically remove any ability he has other than basically pleading to the players, negotiating to the players, hoping that they like him enough to, to kind of hold this thing together. That's a tough position to be in. Right. Well, let's talk about another tough position to be in. Uh, Dallas Cowboys really in a tough game against the now 8-0 Atlanta Falcons. Ended up losing 19-13. Defense actually played very, very well. Rob Ryan guaranteed they were going to be uh, the Atlanta Falcons going in. Played Matt Ryan and that and that offense very very well, uh, and and in a very hard fought tough game on the road where Atlanta is very very good, uh, the Dallas Cowboys lost to the Atlanta Falcons. They now are in a very difficult perspective. Again, it does nothing but heighten the questions about Jason Garrett. What's his status and what compounds it now, and something we're going to visit with that has so many different layers. In a, in a move I still don't understand, the NFL has voided the contract extension of a Sean Payton. Sean Payton is evidently now, at the end of the year, a true free agent. Sean Payton, who has a close relationship with Jerry Jones, has been with the Dallas Cowboys, who has a home where his now 
separated wife and children live in Dallas. And so now here at midseason, Jason Garrett's not only carrying around, am I going to be around here, but the now incessant talk about, you know what, Sean Payton is going to be a free agent coach, and is he going to be the next coach of the Dallas Cowboys? Well, you you, you can't be tried for the same offense twice. So somehow uh, there was language, I think it was tied into Mickey Loomis, who was a general manager, and, and it's not unusual for the head coach to tie in with the general manager and vice versa, and that's where they're at with Sean Payton. He signed an extension. And I and I guess somewhere along the way it had something to do with, you know, me being there and Mickey Loomis being there. Well, Mickey Loomis isn't there right now. And I don't know who discovered it, but uh, it was brought to the attention, I'm sure, of Sean Payton, probably by his agent, I guess, that uh, that there's there's some concerns on this contract. And so it's going to be interesting. The league hasn't said much about it. Uh, the reason we're talking about it really is because there's a game tonight. It's a Monday night football game. You got Andy Reid trying to uh, trying to get you know Michael Vick back on track. Uh, the Saints have only won two games, and so they're trying to get untracked. Uh, Joe Vitt did come back last week, but it didn't make a difference, as I said, it wouldn't. Wasn't uh, the timeout that was imposed by the commissioner on the New Orleans Saints uh, has taken on another dimension, and that dimension is you know that. Uh, Sean Payton uh, might not come back, might go to another team. Now, we know this. You know, when, when Jeff Fisher was a free agent last year, it was a call that uh, two years ago that Bud Adams made. When he made, he made Jeff Fisher a free agent, I think he had four offers. All right, he took the best one he wanted. He set out for a year, took the best offer he wanted, and he took the one at the St. Louis Rams. If Sean Payton would become a free agent and can sign with anyone, then I think it's going to be uh, probably the highest bidding for a head coach that's taken place maybe in the history of the game. Now, and Denny, you, you brought my ass into this league, so i, I got to go to you to make sure that I'm <laughs> understanding this. I'm going I'm to try to be a little detached and, and clinical here. I'm just going to make some statement of facts that we know. Sean Payton was sanctioned by the NFL with the most severe suspension that we've ever seen of a head coach, loss of an entire year, for willfully lying to the league and accused of orchestrating an environment that put players at risk. And after that suspension is now going to be the highest paid coach in the history of this league. <laughs> well, the players still dispute this whole thing, as we know. Uh, Jonathan Vilma is still saying, I still don't know what you guys are talking about. Uh, the the linebacker, what was his name? Uh, Vilma. Vil- yeah, Vilma. Jonathan Vilma. Vilma, but then the other linebacker. Oh, Fajita. Fajita is saying, I don't know what you're talking about. So, I mean, I, I you know, I think the only one that says he knows what you're talking about is the defensive coordinator, Williams. Uh, Sean has never had to say anything. And and so uh, I think by accident, clearly, uh, by becoming a free agent, uh, I think that this was, as say, circumstances that are unintended. Unintended circumstances can really create some issues. It's going to be a big issue. And I think it's going to be talked about a lot tonight because two reasons. One, the Philadelphia Eagles right now are not in the playoff hunt. They're three and four. If they win, the five and four or four and four, then I think that might make a difference. But right now, uh, they're not in the hunt. The, we know the Saints are in the hunt two and five, and 
and uh, there might not be as compelling football. I mean, Michael Vick is really kind of a guy that doesn't attract that kind of attention anymore. Drew Brees is having his typical year, but not that much attention. I think the Sean Payton voided contract is going to create a lot of interest and a lot of talked about football for tonight. And distraction for that New Orleans Saint football team to a degree. The oh, relationship absolutely. with Sean Payton and, and uh, Drew Brees, who can't talk to one another legally right now whether that ha- happens or doesn't happen the coaches on that staff that have to question you know now they're on their second interim interim coach and all i mean this is he a can't lot talk to them this is a lot to deal with he was allowed to go to one game when drew broke the record right. he broke giant eyes record he could go but he couldn't talk to anybody but he could go to the game you know and 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 then all that's going on with philadelphia as you say i'll be interested to see michael vick supposedly now said look i'm gonna let this thing loose i've been too uh, 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 careful with what uh, the way I've orchestrated what I'm doing. I'm going to let this thing go and be the Michael Vick that I know I have to be. Now, what does that mean against a very porous and bad New Orleans Saints defense? Granted, but it's in New Orleans. This thing could be a heck of a track meet. I think I think it'll be a big time game. Michael can, as we know, he's still been a phenomenal player when he's in good shape. He makes some mistakes, but you know, quarterbacks are not supposed to worry about mistakes. Just like cornerbacks, defensive backs are not supposed to. You might give up a touchdown and you might get an interception and take it and get the touchdown back i mean you have to just go out and compete so i think it's going to be i think it's going to be pretty exciting and also there's been a lot of pressure on on andy Reid as a head coach simply because of that fact that that you know the eagles are sitting there with the three and four record and and you know behind the giants who are playing pretty well and and uh slightly ahead of the dallas cowboys who are three and five so i i think it's going to be a pretty pretty exciting monday night football and then in, in only the way that a hollywood screenwriter could orchestrate it. We have the Philadelphia Eagles then playing the Dallas Cowboys the next week. Uh, this league uh, just can can't can do no wrong with regards to just accidentally treating, creating drama well, from one, a, one week yeah. to the west. And it's going to be a lot of drama simply because, I mean, I guess we could talk about Dallas next. I mean, they put up a good fight. They played well defensively, uh, you know, against Atlanta. Atlanta... You know, Atlanta looked a little stale yesterday. They made they made plays at the end of the game when they had to. They really busted out uh, in the last in the last quarter and, and did some great things. But uh, Dallas played uh, pretty good defense, just not playing very good on offense. Can't seem to get in the rhythm on offense. And uh, you know, sitting three and five, there's no way that's what they thought would happen this year. And people are still going to question Atlanta, and rightfully so. You know, is are they as good as the eight and O indicates? Doesn't matter. They're eight and O. You know, that, that's for them to, to deal with. The one thing that, that did impress me in that game, first off, yes, Dallas played very, very well. Uh, and, and I think you got to give Rob Ryan and that defense credit. That's a whole nother line of conversation you could have about Rob Ryan sitting there and, and wondering what his future is going to be again. Rob Ryan's been through how many different head coaches in the last 10 years from Oakland to Cleveland and now here and, and wants very much to be a head coach. And But one thing that did impress me with Atlanta was their ability uh, at the end of the half to orchestrate a seven-play, 60-yard drive to get a field goal when things hadn't gone particularly well. Uh, and then came back in the in in the drives that Matt Ryan was able to to orchestrate. He ran. He did a, t- t- a ten play drive for sixty one yards. They missed the field goal uncharacteristically of Bryant. Then came back with an eighty one yard touchdown uh, drive and then a nine play sixty two yard drive for a field goal. Then a twelve play. 66-yard drive for another field goal. So even though it didn't yield touchdowns, he was able to put together some orchestrated drives that I think 
it kind of got lost in the equation in terms of I think Atlanta's pretty good. We're going to find out how good, uh, just like Houston. I don't know that they in Houston get the love that a lot right. of people want right. to give them, but you can't deny that they're sitting there at uh, a top of the league and a top of their conferences. No, you can't. And, and, again, they're loaded. They're loaded on defense. They're loaded on offense. They've had this talent for a while, but now it's really starting to come to me. Roddy White's been around for a long time, but now and Julio has is, is, is stepped out. And then, you know, they're starting to say, well, maybe – we should be running a little bit more. Michael Turner had some plays, and and so all of a sudden they they are looking that part as as an eight and zero football team, and they look pretty impressive. So the Texans, of course, next week they'll be they'll be taking the Chicago Bears outside at Chicago, mm-hmm. and winners coming early to Chicago. So I don't know if that is going to be a typical indoor team playing outdoors or not. So I mean, these are all things that I th- I, I think that what makes the NFL so exciting um, gets the fans really turned on. There are things that are happening on the field, but there's also things that are happening off the field, and uh, we just keep right on rolling. Well, that's the compelling thing about the NFL compared to Major League Baseball or the NBA. I mean, something can go on, and then three days later, the next day, you're playing. Right. And it moves on to the next thing, which is kind of good, too. But in the NFL, that's what's so compelling about it because now you have a whole week, and we're going to mull it over and turn it around and look under every rock and talk about and it just builds that anticipation to come Sunday, and it's it's unbelievable. Steelers are three for eight on third downs, third and a long five near their 49. Ben in the shotgun. Gets the snap. He's back. Big rush over the middle. The pass is complete. Wallace loose in the secondary. Gets a block to 40, 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10. Steelers touchdown. On a shallow cross, right to left, the Steelers do the job. And that speed by Mike Wallace, very evident as he turned the corner around Brown, the safety, and Hosley, who is the nickelback on the play. 51-yard touchdown. Let's get onto the field for a little bit because most of what we're talking about is off the field. Uh, Pittsburgh looks so good against the New York Giants. I had Pittsburgh last week against Washington, so you got to qualify this was a team, we talked about it before, Denny, that is beginning to look kind of scary. This team looks awful good, and they're not even healthy yet. No, that, they're running backs. They were without Jonathan Dwyer again. Uh, they, they went with uh, Isaac Redman. They're going to get uh, uh, Mendenhall back. And this is playing good defense, even without Troy Polamalu. This team looks like a team that could just get better and better. Played Went into New York under unique circumstances now. Didn't go until actually on Sunday. Um and, and played a New York team, particularly in the second half, a physical New York team that looked like they just out-physicaled the New York Giants in the second half. Let's do talk about a coaching decision that some people are questioning with Mike Tomlin, who down three points decided to run a fake field goal that obviously did not turn out well. Yeah, you know, and I think the only problem was I think they were in too close. I mean, you know, I, I'm not much of a fake field goal guy, but I think if you're in that category, you're on a 20, 25-yard line where it's a 37, 45-yard field goal where the defenders have a chance to block it, they're going to be all geared up. And you want all eight guys rushing. You want guys flying up the field. You want guys going for penetration and angling, trying to block it. And then you're going to go trick play snap to the to the, uh, the holder, and he flips it over his head, and the guy catches it on the run, and away they go. I mean, looks great uh, on practice field. Well, I think when you're down and as close as they were, and they were about, I think, on about the eight-yard line or nine-yard line, then what happened is, uh, you know, they didn't. The New York Giants outside guys they weren't kind of hustling. They were fell they, into it. They did not try to block it, and so as a result, it was a no kind of a play at all 
on easy tackle on the uh, on the uh, kicker, and it came when they were getting ready to kick the field goal to tie the game up. So I think as part of it is is Mike Tomlin's confidence. I mean, he's young. Uh, he plays with his own style. Uh, he's a former, you know, defensive guy that's that's done some good things. His team plays well, and I think they have the kind of mentality that says if we try a trick play and it doesn't work, don't worry about a coach. We're going to stop him anyway, and that's exactly what they did. You know, Tom Coughlin afterwards was, was somewhat, I won't say emotional, but very disappointed with the loss, as you always are. A lot of reasons for it. Some people are trying to make a little more of it than maybe than it was, other than he certainly didn't blame the circumstances of, uh, the Hurricane Sandy and the circumstances of so many players and, and the people obviously in New York still dealing with the aftermath of that. He he showed a disappointment that I wish we could have played better for our fans because they needed this given right. the week that we've had. Didn't use an excuse as all. But I think part of the disappointment beyond just losing was they, they were up by 10. And even with what we just talked about, a botched uh, uh, field goal, fake field goal that really should have emboldened them, that second half of the game, those Steelers, who were, were banged up to begin with going in, got even banged up a little bit more once they got into it, they looked like they could. They just out-physical the New York Giants in a way that I haven't seen a team do. It speaks well of the Pittsburgh Steelers, but it also, you know, you got to come away as a Giant kind of wondering who are we, are, are we who we thought we were. Well, I think that, that, you know, Pittsburgh was sitting four and three. This was a must win for them. I, I don't. I think when they looked at it and said, hey, if we're four and three and we go to the Giants, we're going on the road, guys, we got to play. Now, this was way before anything popped up with, with the hurricane and the impact it had on the community. Of course, you were – you did the show last week from out there in Baltimore because of the, you know, the Sandy was roaring right down your backyard. Uh, but we talk, still did the show, Danny. Yeah, I, I know we did, but, and we lost you at the end, too. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I called my brother in D.C., my brother in Harrisburg, my brother in Pittsburgh, and all three of them were affected by the wind and the rain and, and all that, not like the poor people on the Jersey Shore and not like in New York. So I, I think what Coughlin was saying is this, this is a game that, that can take everyone's mind off of uh, what's taking place for just a few hours. It's not like it's going to replace it, but can can give them a little something to cheer about. And so the players wanted to win for that reason. But as we know, you don't really win for any reason other than how you play on the field and, and what you accomplish on the field. And Pittsburgh at 4-3 and three did not want to be 4-4, four and four, and they played like they did not want to be 4-4. You know, four and four. So they wound up coming out of that with a win at 5-3. and three. I think also the Giants were starting to play like, they expected to win. Now, I know we all want to win, but you know they, you you're but you're only playing at a certain level. Well, they really were playing well, and so you know Peyton or Eli did not have an Eli type of a game himself. Uh, the team did not have a Giants type of a game, and I think that's what uh, what Tom Coughlin was saying is that I'm a little surprised how things went. Uh, I didn't like the way things went, and he said it was a tough loss, and I think it was a tough loss not just because of the hurricane and not just because of the circumstances, but also because they were starting to play. You know, they, they've been a 9-7 and seven playoff team, and then I think they were starting to play like maybe we were going to be a 14-2 and two playoff team. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, Danny. As I look at this giant team, again, we do have to remember that was a 9-7 and seven team that won the Super Bowl that got hot at the right time, got healthy at the right time in the playoffs. And and a team like all everybody has has flaws that you, we've said it many times. We could take every team here on the top end of the, the brackets 
and give you three reasons why they should win a Super Bowl and probably three reasons why they won't win a Super Bowl. But I think they do look like that 9-7 and seven team, that 10-6 and six team that's pretty darn good. And can they get hot and make another run in the playoffs and win another Super Bowl? Certainly can. But are they a dominant team like we kind of thought they might become and might build on? I don't know that they're that team. Uh, again, they struggled. These were un-Eli Manning-like numbers. Uh, in, in, in a game, Man, Manning was uh, 10 of 24 for 125 yards right. and an interception. I mean, Eli was on a run here now. And, again, I credit Pittsburgh for that as much as uh, New York. But, I, you know, New York, uh, when we talk about the Chicago Bears and we talk about the Green Bay Packers and we talk about the San Francisco 49ers and an 8-0 Atlanta team, I, a lot of people might say, well, I'm not sure New York's not a better team than that 8-0 Atlanta team. Well, I don't know about that. Right. I don't know about that. So it's it's certainly compelling to say the very least uh, and it's going to be interesting going forward to see how they're going to play. They uh, Pittsburgh as well. Pittsburgh's got Kansas City. Then they play Baltimore two out of the next three weeks with Cleveland sandwiched in between. Those are going to be – and, you know, I'm biased because of my time in, in Baltimore with Pittsburgh. Everybody talks about best rivalries and physical games. This is going to be a bloodbath with <laughs> Pittsburgh and Baltimore playing two out of the three weeks. That, that That's going to be worth the price of admission there. Um, we're going to lead to something here, and we'll do it by previewing our, the Thursday night game here on the NFL Network. We've got the Colts, who, who who's more inspiring and more fun to watch than the, than the uh, Indianapolis Colts right now, against the Jacksonville Jaguars. And who would have thought, quite frankly, this would be a game worth it? Make sure to check out NFL.com to see my preview of the Colts and the Jaguars using NFL Game Rewind, where I break down both teams using all 22 coaches' footage. But the Colts, right now, the Colts are a playoff team, and you look at their schedule – they could easily remain a playoff team. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, a lot of it is, is that Andrew Luck. You know, I think the first week of the season, you know, everyone was talking about RG3, and that's great. He was playing well. And Luck is, you know, he's not going to do as well because he's not on as good a team. And Washington is closer to being playoff ready. And, and uh, Indianapolis is a long way from it. Well, wrong. I think we were, everyone was wrong. Again, Indianapolis is looking pretty good. Uh Andrew Luck is playing exceptional. He broke the rookie record for most yardage in a game, uh, uh, you know, yesterday. And I think it's a team that can continue to roll. Well, and you, they're sitting there with five wins. And you can look at that and say, well, okay, it's still the Indianapolis Colts and all the things that you said. What, really, is there a path to the playoffs here? Well, let's look at the team. They're going to play Jacksonville. They're going to play Buffalo. They're going to play Detroit. They're going to play Tennessee and Kansas City. Well, there's five wins right now. I'm not giving them five wins, no. but now they all got to play New England in there, and they're going to have to play Houston twice. So, I okay, I'm with you there. But you can see a path to five wins now, oh, yeah. which gets them to ten wins, and that gets them into the playoffs. It does, and I and I think that Andrew Luck is going to get better too. I mean, that's the thing, the, the consistency. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, RG3 has not been, uh, uh, you know, as consistent. Um, I think a lot of the first-year players, a lot of first-year starting players, you know, yesterday Tannehill was against Luck. So, we, you look up and see Miami and the Colts. Good game. Colts pulled it out. I mean, so I, it's great that the first-year players are getting some, some playing action. But uh, this is a pretty good football team, you know, and, and I think that uh, they're playing with a purpose. They're playing with a focus. And you can talk a little bit about that as far as tied into the emotional aspect of the game yesterday when they knew that their coach uh, was going to be at the at the ball game. Let's talk about that, Denny, because we've we've been at this game a long time, and we've been a part of some compelling things. Um, and and sports is such a great platform to be inspirational. But at the end of the day, you also realize, look, this is the toy store. 
Right. This is this is the toy department. This isn't life and death situation. Yes, it can be compelling, but we're still talking about athletics compared to life and death situations. But that's not the case here. Chuck Pagano, as many people know, is fighting leukemia. The head coach, uh, first year head coach of the Indianapolis Colts that's on a leave of absence. Bruce Arians is the interim head coach. He showed up after the game with a locker room speech that, Denny, I I just I, I think it's one of the most inspiring things I've ever seen. To talk to that young football team, obviously an emotional time, to step in and put it within context of the battle he's going through and the battle they're going through as a young team. And basically his message was to say, you and I are not going to give in to our circumstances. Everybody thought this was going to be a certain way, and rightfully so. I would lead that group, never thought Indianapolis would be this good, knew that Andrew Luck would be good, they'd suffer through some tough losses, but maybe get better for next year. We didn't give in to the circumstances. I'm not giving in to my circumstances. We're going to create our own reality going forward. And that was one of the most and, – and, and, Denny, you and I have daughters. And when he talked about, I'm going to dance at my daughter's right. wedding. The vision of it. If anybody – if you can't connect to that emotionally, whether you have daughters or not – that said, I am not going to let my circumstances dictate to me what my life is going to be about. I'm going to, it, it was one of the most compelling things I ever remember yeah, seeing. It really was because I think what he was able to say, we all see visions of what we are and how we'll be satisfied. Now, some guys say, I see us doing this, or I see us winning the championship, or I see us going to the Super Bowl. Or, you know, and he, his vision was, I see me dancing at my daughter's wedding. And I think that uh, you know his battle is, is uh, beginning. He's halfway through it, I think. Uh, I think he goes back into the hospital, as he explained it, and, and goes for more treatments. Yeah, and so right now, the, you know, the doctor said he's in remission, which is great because that's why he's out of the hospital, and that's why he's uh, he was able to go to the game. And I'm sure there were some questions. Will he be strong enough to go to the game? And will he be strong enough to talk to the team? Will he be strong enough to do a lot of things? And so far, it's been all a resounding yes. And so hopefully as they go forward now with the, the leukemia on the run is what it appears to be, that uh, the further treatments will, will you know, have him uh, totally cured from it. Yeah, just so compelling. As you and I know, Denny, you don't inspire by what you say. You inspire by why you say it. And and the circumstances around it. Chuck is such a good man. And uh, it's just compelling. And, and, and I hope it's one of those rare opportunities where truly it's an opportunity to inspire. I think Chuck Pagano in this situation and, and going forward, this Indianapolis Colts team, I think there's going to be a whole lot of Indianapolis Colts fans right. that say, I'm, you know, I may, maybe you're neutral to it. Maybe, you, but you know what? I'm going to be a Colt fan because their, their battle to overcome their circumstances, their perceived circumstances because of their head coach is something I want they call it uh, Chuck strong. Right. And I'm buying into the Chuck strong and they're, they're going to be America's favorite going forward. And they should. And that's one, that we've been talking about compelling things about this league. Some of them not good. Some of them, a lot of them good, but it's certainly compelling and interesting as a league. To This is one of those good things that uh, we're going to go with for the entire rest of the season, and uh, it's it's great to be a part of it, and it's great that the league can be a force for that type of inspiration for so many people. I mentioned before the game that you guys were living in a vision and you weren't living in circumstances. Because you know where they had us in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Every last one of them. But you refused to live in circumstances. And you decided consciously as a team and as a family 
to live in a vision. Yes, sir. And that's why you bring things home like you brought home today. Amen. That's why you're already champions and well on your way. I got circumstances. You guys understand it. I understand it. It's already beat. Amen. It's already beat. That I'm living. See two more daughters get married, dance at their weddings, and then hoist that Lombardi several times. I'm dancing at two more weddings, and we're hoisting that trophy together, man. Congratulations. I love all of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Check on three. One, two, three. That's going to do it for the Coach's Show podcast. You can download the Coach's Show podcast from iTunes or go to NFL.com slash podcast. Also, be sure to catch the Coach's Show on the NFL Network every Monday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Thanks for listening, everybody.